So Justin, Justin is amazing. Justin is, he is absolutely, to be on the show doing this, like he said, because he knows it will help people. As you continue to listen to this, I hope you appreciate, you know, what you're hearing because this is a big step. You know, there's a lot of us that have things in our closet that we, we would never talk about because of the embarrassment or of just of the stereotype. But Justin, like I said, Justin is just one of those, just one of those amazing people that I've been so fortunate to meet and I couldn't be more grateful to be doing this show today because he has a heart and he's been through a lot, but he's really here to give you hope. So keep watching, continue to watch. I know it's the video is a little long, but keep watching because really, Justin's really here for you. And let's appreciate him for that. Thank you so much for watching. So where were we? You were giving medications and stuff um, and sent Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, when the whole diagnosis happened, all the medication happened, they're like, um, you know, see a counselor, psychiatrist will follow up medications. Great, cool. So then I was kind of left on my own to figure stuff out, right? Counselors I talked to, some of them uh, had very little experience with this type of thing. Um, some of them had a lot of experience. So some things were helpful, some things weren't. I think uh, because everyone is different when it comes to symptoms and, and I mean, how you react when you're first diagnosed and stuff like that, it's, it's hard for anyone to have all the answers. Uh, so like I said, from that point, from the original diagnosis, that was 2018. And then I had two years of um, medication adjustments, trying different medications. I tried, so I can remember all these, uh, Latuda, Olanzapine, Abilify, Seroquel, um, Epival, Lithium, and I'm currently on Lamicto and Wellbutrin and Trazodone and Zopicone. So a lot That's of a lot. That's a lot, yeah. And I mean, everything you try takes a minimum six weeks, right? To, to see anything. To see, yeah. So we try something, if it didn't work, we'd increase it. That's another two weeks. So, you know, every two to three months, or sorry, yeah. every, uh, yeah, two to three months, mm -hmm. I was switching medications because what I was on wasn't working. And it is, unfortunately, with mental health, a lot of it is trial and error. If one medication worked for everyone, we wouldn't have a lot of issues, right? Um, right. So it was difficult. There was a lot of ups and a lot more downs that two years. Um, and uh, my, I was in a relationship at the time with my daughter's mom. And I know it was very stressful on her to have to deal with all of my constant mood changes, all the medication stuff. Uh, she, I don't generally like to talk about what's going through my head. But she had asked that she, like she wanted to know. And 
uh, I, I told her, and I don't think she was really prepared for what I was thinking. Because I really honestly, even through all that, even through all the medication and everything, I think after having the diagnosis, those thoughts of wanting to end my life intensified and increased. Because I was like, well, I wanted, I want to be dead before. And now I have the other thing that is going to complicate things even more. Right. So it was, it was really difficult. I think it was really difficult on her. Um, I think it did play a, a big role in our separation. So this is kind of the uh for me anyway was the turning point so we decided we were going to separate in february 2020 and at that point i was like she, she told me she wasn't happy and she's really struggling dealing with a lot of stuff in her life and i knew this was a big part of that and so i said yeah okay i get it um cool we'll we'll separate and we'll figure stuff out that's, that's, that's gotta be that's gotta be hard how long were you guys together um, if you don't mind me asking three four years. years um so that same night after um we went to bed i remember laying in bed thinking well the only thing i was really holding on for was my family like i had a family um so when we decided to separate I was already, already at a really low point because I was dealing with all this stuff and all these changes. And I thought, after we went to bed, I thought, well, this is it. I'm, I've officially ruined another person's life. I've made her miserable. And my only job in a relationship was to take care of them, keep them safe and, and happy. And I was falling very short and I, I did the opposite, I felt. And I looked at my daughter and I thought, if I'm doing this to an adult, if, if an adult is not able to deal with this stuff, what's going to happen with my one of my daughter is, you know, even a little bit older, like a couple of years older, and she can start comprehending and understanding. Uh, so I decided that night after we spoke that I was going to end my life. I put a lot of thought into how I was going to do it. Um, I decided that I would do it after we actually separated and um, like we were away from each other. I sold a lot of my belongings to try to save as much money as I could so that when I did do it, I could leave something for my daughter and her mom. Um, we were engaged at the time, so she gave me back the ring. Um, and so I kept the ring and uh, I put it with all the money that I had after I sold all my stuff. Um, and it, it was like, it's it's really stupid thinking back to it because I'm a planner. And even then I was like, even though I was planning to end my life, I was also planning just in case my life didn't end. Cause I've seen it so much in mental health where people attempt stuff and it doesn't happen. Right. Um, so I was, all, I was also making sure I had stuff I needed for my daughter like clothes and a bed and stuff like that so that if something did happen and i was still here i wouldn't be left with nothing to take care of her so it was kind of a split between like where my money went to either savings for them after i was gone or just in case so i can buy stuff i needed for her uh it was about three weeks from then that we actually moved out 
and the so it was March first, I think, twenty twenty. Uh, I woke up in the morning and like it was it was still in my head. That's what I had planned. This was like a solid plan. It wasn't like a fleeting thought. I made up my mind. I'm going to do this. Um, so I woke up that morning and I thought, you know, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to try to just live and see what happens. And I went. I remember I I got a gym membership because I'm like I need to be going to the gym. Uh, I did groceries. Um, I I know like I need to eat things like that, right? But I made it to like eleven in the morning, and I thought. I can't get away from this. The, trying to live a miserable life, where I felt at the time, I still felt like I was, I was a problem for everyone around me. And so, um, after I did that stuff, I thought, you know what? I'm not. It's not changing anything. Uh, this is still what I want to do. And so I drove to um, my daughter's mom's mom's my daughter's grandma's place and i gave her uh, a small box where i had put all the money and all and the engagement ring and everything that i had that i could give her and i left and i got what i needed and i called my best friend my best friend allison we've been together we've been friends for over 20 years now and i called her to say goodbye after i had already uh finished what i needed to do in terms of completing the process um so I, I, my plan was to overdose but i mean i'm a nurse i made sure that what i was doing was definitely going to kill me so i made sure i did all that stuff first i took everything i needed um and i was just sitting in my van waiting at that point for things to happen so i called allison and i was telling her i said you know i really appreciate all of the, the kind things that you've done for me and for being a friend in my life, stuff like that. And I told her what I had done and I said, I'm just calling to say goodbye. Like, it's, I'm, you're not going to change my mind about anything. This isn't a cry for help. I'm just, I just want to say goodbye and thank you. Um, while I was on the phone with her, I think her husband, I'm still not entirely sure what happened, but I think her husband contacted my daughter's mom and they contacted police and police ended up tracing my phone and they um, they came and arrested me uh, and brought me to hospital uh, I was in ICU for a while because that, by that point uh, I was things were already starting to happen so I was in ICU for a while and that's a whole other experience I I remember are you okay? Do you need a minute? I'm okay. Oh my I God. remember even when the cops brought me into Emerge I, and they were asking what I took and how much I took, I didn't want to tell them. Because it's, I mean, working in that environment, I know what they're looking for. Exactly. My, my goal is not to give them any information to help me. I didn't want to be helped. I wanted to be dead. I remember laying in the ICU bed, uh, some of it's kind of choppy. I remember um, having a ringing in my ears that was like deafening, like people were yelling at me because I couldn't hear them over the ringing. My vision was super blurred. I couldn't see anything. 
my entire body felt like like numb. Like they put a catheter in me and I didn't even know. Uh, they did blood gas, which anyone who's had blood gas has done. I know it's not pleasant. I didn't even know. I was, I was in the process of exiting. Um, and so initially I was brought to Cambridge and then they thought that um, I might have to be dialyzed, uh, that my kidneys were failing. And so they sent me to Grand River. Um, they were able to um, catch it just in time. So I do have some kidney damage from that. Uh, after they released me from ICU, I was formed and I was actually put on to the, uh, the 1F unit, uh, which I work on. It has been a whole interesting experience in its own. Um, and so even after all of that, even after I was on the unit and medically cleared and seeing a psychiatrist, I, I still didn't see any purpose for me being there, for being alive. It's not like I woke up and I was like, oh, that was a mistake. Um, and for a long time after that, when my mood got really low, um, my mind always kind of went back to uh, that whole situation. And there were times where I thought, I, I really regretted that the police found me at all. And I should say, I should tell you again, just like when you're in a hypomanic or manic state and you're not yourself, you're not thinking like you normally would. Same thing goes for depression. When I'm in a hole, all I can see is the negative stuff that's in that hole with me. I don't look into the future. And if I do, it's something that's, things are never gonna get better. Things are just gonna get worse. I'm just gonna ruin more people's lives, stuff like that, right? So when you're in those states, you are not in the right state of mind. And I understand that, but I'm also in a good place right now where I can understand that. When you're in those states, it's really hard to rationalize and tell yourself, this is me being unwell. It's because everything in your head is telling you opposite. Everything in your head is telling you, nope, this is true. This is this is how things are. Like I'm a competent adult who's making these decisions because uh, I've analyzed all the information, blah, blah, blah. But I'm still not in the right state of mind. So for a while after I was uh, discharged and I was there for, I think two or three weeks. Um, for a while after this, I mean like months and months, probably for most of that year of 2020, uh, when I had low periods, I would go back to, I really wish cops hadn't found me. I I even told myself like, I shouldn't have called Allison but that's how they ended up finding me. I should have just kept my mouth shut and just been done with it. Um, but again, you're not in the right state of mind, right? So, it was after I got out of the hospital. Actually, it was kind of when I was in the hospital. Actually, I can tell you exactly when I was. I was laying in an ICU bed at Grand River. And all I could think about was, I miss this stuff. 
and I wanted to see her. And then it kind of hit me that I wanted to end my life because I thought it was going to be better for her. And what I was doing was completely removing her from my life. And mm -hmm. what that would do to her down the road once she was able to understand. And I think the hardest part was thinking she wouldn't understand that for a really, really long time, she was only three. For years, she wouldn't necessarily understand. And she would constantly, constantly be asking, where's daddy? When's daddy coming? And that's not fair to her at all. So when they ask about protective factors and stuff like that, like when you're in mental health, um, mm -hmm. I still didn't have one. I still don't. When I talk to um, counselors or psychiatrists or anything, it's just her. And it sucks that it's just her, that she's enough. Yes. Yes. So when I got out of the hospital, I said, I can't be there again. I can't do that again. But I knew this is a lifelong illness. I knew that I had been having this issue with depression since I was a teenager in that it had gotten this bad without me doing anything about it. And then even once I was on medication, it still got to the point where I tried to legitimately end my life. So I said, what do I need to do to not be there again? I started reading everything I could. I read everything I could find, every study I could find on bipolar, on bipolar two, on what triggers people, how uh, genetics and how that plays into it, um, external factors like alcohol, drug use, all that stuff. And, and we'll get into that later, uh, about how I maintain my life and things. But I started reading stuff about, because aside from the bipolar, there's, I, there's a PTSD and an ADHD diagnosis as well. So I read the complex uh, PTSD book and that was difficult because even reading the book, there's a lot of stuff that in the book as examples, I was like, oh my God, like this is my life. This, this is for real. And it was really hard and I struggled to get through the book, but I knew like, I really, and that's when I joined this bipolar group. Actually, I think I was part of it before, but I never really paid too much attention to it. I joined it as like a, as a way of finding people I could connect with who understood but once this whole situation happened i started really looking at it as what are other people going through what are they doing that's helping them what are they doing that's not helping and the thing with social media in general is people aren't very 
uh, worried about what they put on social media. And I think it's unfortunate that when people are unwell, they do post things. Um, and that is not necessarily great for them, but me being at that point, starting to be in a better place and looking at the stuff people were posting, reading how they were dealing with stuff, reading those, the same thoughts of hopelessness and I'm trapped in this forever. And even when I feel better, it's gonna get worse again. There's no, there's no, I take this medication, it's gone forever. I take my medication every day. It's very, very, very rare that I miss a day or a night or whatever it is. And even though I am so vigilant with my medications, I still have ups and downs. It's not like I take it and it goes away. And I think that's something that I've come across in people who either know someone with mental illness or uh, who just don't really have a lot of experience with mental illness is they feel, well, you're taking your meds. Why are you still having this problem? Medications doesn't make it go away. It helps, it helps you to be able to control it better, but it's still on you to yeah. learn how to manage it. So that was the other part is as much as I read all these studies, all these books, all these testimonials, all these everything, I needed to learn myself because I realized I was going in and out of these ups and downs and not realizing I was, I was in that phase or that state sure. until I was already there. I wouldn't realize that I was in a depressive state until I was already having suicidal thoughts. I wouldn't realize I was in a hypomanic state until I already hadn't slept for like three or four days. And <laughs> so the sleep, like, like. Just before you go on, I just want to say, you know, I am so, I'm so grateful the cops found you. Hmm? I'm so glad the cops found you. I'm so grateful it didn't happen. You're such Thank an you. awesome person, like, and I can say I understand it because I, you know, but I, 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 I totally hear you and I'm so, so happy that they found you. Thank you. And I love that you said she's enough and that's true. She is enough and you are enough too, Justin. You know, but no, go ahead. I'm so sorry. I just wanted to say that. So, um, so yeah, I really had to start paying attention to my own moods and it took me, and I'm still learning. It is, this is not something you can learn overnight or even over a year or however long I'm still trying to figure stuff out. Um, but I, I now I have a better idea that like I know when I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling, you know, tired, even though I slept eight hours, that's something in the back of my head. I gotta say, okay, well, keep an eye on that. If I notice throughout the day, I'm having a hard time focusing, like my thoughts are just cloudy. And I'm not, I'm just like not on the ball, you know, like I'm not as quick as I normally am. I have to think in the back of my head, okay, keep an eye on that. If I'm less motivated to do stuff um, that I normally 
enjoy or would do, um, I have to say, okay, I have this and this and this that are all happening now. Mm -hmm. This is probably where I'm headed. I'm probably headed down. So knowing that, I need to take, like, prepare. I need to tell myself, okay, it's like it's like um, when you prep yourself to go um, on a roller coaster. As you're getting on, like into the the cart, you're thinking, "This is gonna be crazy. I'm gonna be going all over the place." I like you're mentally preparing yourself for that, right? True. Kind of yeah. the same thing, where I'm thinking, "Okay, so this is probably where I'm headed. I'm probably headed to uh, a place where I don't have any energy, where I don't want to get out of bed, where I." have no appetite or even energy to get up and make food um so i have to tell myself we need to start prepping now so part of that is for me i had to make a whole list of of things to a keep myself occupied my brain occupied and distracted from thinking negative things so if i found that my head was going there if i started having really negative thoughts or even even just little things here and there, I'd have to say, okay, what's on my list? Am I gonna, am I gonna, uh, I gotta, everybody's list is gonna be different, but am I going to play video games? Am I going to draw? Am I gonna write? Am I gonna, whatever it is. And I even tell this to patients I have now, make a list, because they'll always tell you, even when I was in the hospital, coping skills, deep breathing, um, the five, the five, uh, five things something you can touch something you can smell all yeah. that stuff right that's those are all like across the board standard stuff but it doesn't always apply or help everyone you have to find what works for you that stuff personally doesn't really work for me i have had uh quite a few panic attacks in the past so deep breathing for me doesn't work it, it sometimes makes it even worse um so i have to come up with things and my list is not a definitive list of, well, if I'm feeling this way, I should do this thing and then I'll be okay. I tell this to people too. If you have a list of say 10 things, you try the first thing. The first thing isn't working for you, go to the next thing. If that doesn't work, go to the next thing. You go all the way through that list. And once you get to the bottom and you have nothing else on that list, that's when you have to say, I need to talk to somebody because obviously I cannot manage this on my own right. And that could be as simple as calling counselor and saying setting up appointments to to talk you know and that's that's a self-assessment that's saying am i okay enough to wait a couple days to talk to someone about what's going on or do i need to call christ and tell them right now this is what's going through my head um so it was a very big learning curve um and that was just for the depression part of it so in, um, there's the list of things to do for coping and keeping myself on the right track. I had to make a separate list of, of things that I had to do every day, regardless of how I felt. Working out is one of them. I work out every single day. And it doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter how I might be feeling. I get up and I do it. And it might be the crappiest workout I've ever done in my life, but doing something is better than doing nothing. And I know even those little things, even if I, I work out for 20 minutes and it's a huge struggle, at least I've done that. And I know I've done something right. to help. 
health. The next thing is I have to make sure I eat. And this, I'll be honest with you, this is a big struggle for me. And people will look at me and think, you're like a 230 pound guy. How do you not eat? And I don't, I, there's a lot of times and I'm going through it right now where I just, I feel it's just life stress and stuff. But I, for the last little while, I've kind of been living off of protein shakes because I have no appetite. And uh, it, things like this just happen. But you have to say, I can't just, I can't not eat anything. I have to do something. So even if it's just little bits of this here and there, you know, same thing for sleep. When, when people say they're, they're in a depressed state or they're depressed or whatever it is, and they can't even get out of bed, I think a lot of people really misunderstand that as, well, you're tired or you're lazy or whatever it is, just get out of bed. Those times when I say it's a struggle to get out of bed, I my body feels like I weigh like a metric ton. Like getting like sitting up in bed is exhausting. It's like it is equivalent for me to doing a full workout when I'm well. But it's just getting out of bed. And then once you're up out of bed, you still have to go do stuff. <laughs> and so it's those things that I have to t- I have to tell myself like I need to function. Not functioning is not an option because I know where not functioning gets me and I can't go back there. So I need to make sure I eat something. I need to make sure I work out. I need to make sure that uh, I have a plan for the day, that I know what I'm doing. And part of that, I guess, again, is is being able to assess, am I okay to go to work today? Am I, am I able to focus enough that if someone were in distress or needed me, that I would know what to do? And... I, there are times where I'm not okay and I will 100% say I cannot go into work because I'm not, I, I value people's lives and I don't think that it's responsible for me to just say, well, I need the money. I'm going to go into work and whatever happens, happens. It sucks. And sometimes it puts me in really bad situations like financially, but I'd rather do that than have someone, someone's life affected in a really negative way or or ended because I did something I shouldn't have or didn't do something that I should have. Um, so that is another responsibility. So this is just on the depression side of things. Mm-hmm. On the hypomanic side of things, it's stuff like, um, do I feel like I have a lot of energy all of a sudden? Um, and <laughs> this is another thing that it kind of frustrates me because like I've said to people before, oh, I haven't slept in like three or four days. And people will be like, oh yeah, it happens to me all the time. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, like you probably mean you slept for like maybe two or three hours or whatever a night and you're just really tired and that's been happening for a few days. I mean, I've literally been awake for five days straight. Not just that, I've been taking medications to sleep for those five days and I was doing nothing to me. Anyone who's taken any sort of uh, like melatonin or imavane or... Um, uh there they know that stuff lets you up that's what it's meant for right mm-hmm. there are nights when i have been uh hypomanic where i've taken 15 milligrams of zopacone 150 milligrams of trazodone and nine milligrams of melatonin and i am wired doesn't touch me it's like i have never done cocaine but i assume that's what it would be like <laughs> so i need to make sure that i'm getting sleep and 
so even when I'm like that, you know, it, I want to get up. I want to be creative. I have all these cool ideas. I have thought of all of these amazing business ideas at like 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to leave nursing and go do this. And it's going to make me rich. And that is a very common thing that I found with people who are in a manic state. It's very, very creative, very, very um, open-minded in terms of what what is possible. Suddenly mm-hmm. everything is possible. And for me, one of the things I know specifically for me is, and you're gonna laugh, because I used I used to actually say this when I was dating this girl a long time ago, I used to say this to her, she drove me nuts, I drove her nuts. I actually literally feel like I am invincible. I have done really stupid things in my life that straight up should have killed me. But I was in that state where I thought, what's gonna happen? I remember my friends, cause like, I always thought, this is what I meant when I was, when earlier I said I did a lot of stupid stuff. When I was younger, I thought I just, I was an adrenaline junkie. I thought I just loved things that got my adrenaline going, which is true, but there are things that normal people don't do. <laughs> so like, I remember um, getting on the roof of my friend's car and us going down a country road at like 120 and me like letting go because I felt like nothing could touch me. What's the worst that could happen? They'll stop or I'll fall off and I'll roll for a while and I'll be fine. Oh right? I did, um, I had um, cryptogenic organizing pneumonia. It's a type of autoimmune pneumonia. It's mm-hmm. anyway. I was sick with it and I knew I was sick with it, but I had already signed up to do the Spartan 5K. It's kind of like Tough Mudder. So pneumonia or not, I'm doing the 5K. It took me three hours to do five kilometers because I kept having to stop because I couldn't breathe. But I did it because I kept telling myself, what's going to happen? I'm just tired. I'm just having a hard time breathing. It's fine. Things like that. I mean, I worked out with broken, I had a broken collarbone. And my doctor's like, don't go to the gym. And I was like, okay. So I went to the gym and I worked out with a broken collarbone. I took a ton of Tylenol. I took a ton of Advil. I d- did everything I could. I went to the gym. I worked out and after I would ice it and take more Tylenol Advil. It was dumb. I could have seriously injured myself. But when I'm like that, I can't be touched. I can't be hurt. So when I start having um, those thoughts, I know, okay, whoa, hang on. Maybe I'm a little bit mad. Um, same thing for creativity. So this is something that, uh, a lot of people say, and I've found it to be true, but, uh, so in my past dealing with, uh, patients who have had, um, they've been in a manic state or whatever, and they've been given medication and they've come down. First of all, people love being manic. I'll be honest with you. I love being manic. Everything is great. The life is so colorful. Everything is fun. It's awesome. Yeah. But it doesn't stay like that. It gets worse and, and it doesn't end well. Um, but creativity. I always like, grew up. I always drew. I loved drawing. I love sketching. I love painting. He's I love amazing. That's, this, is the, this is what he's going to come back on a show to do because he's amazing. No, because you have to let me finish. You have to let me finish. <laughs> Yes, go ahead. So, okay, sorry, I'm sorry. Being on medications, that's one thing I can say has kind of disappeared is I don't really have that creative side of me is kind of just gone. Like it's not like it's not like, oh, I'm not in the mood or whatever. I just have zero interest in it. 
I used to be able to sit up all night and draw and write like 24 hours straight of just drawing. I would lose myself in time and not even realize I was awake for as long as I was doing stuff like that. And now I can have everything at my disposal and have zero interest in doing anything. Um, so that was a big change. And that's something that I was gonna say, a lot of people say is it takes away my creativity. Well, yeah, it did, but what's the other option? I don't take the medications and I skyrocket into disaster. Well, I'd rather lose my creativity than end up ruining my life. So um, there's, there's adjustments and just like everything in life, you know, we take good with bad. So yeah. the worst thing that I have to deal with is I don't write or draw as much or at all. Oh, well, I'm not bouncing off the wall, spending all my money, giving away my belongings and my life savings. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that, and this is, I'm only saying this just to explain in terms of, I feel like when people talk about uh, mania and depression, uh, people who don't experience, have experienced it, people, sorry, people who haven't experienced it have a really hard time understanding that it affects you on a physiological level. So just like my body is just completely fatigued and taxed and super heavy when I'm depressed and it's hard to do anything, the opposite is true for when I'm manic. I have gone to the gym on being awake for five days straight taking a bunch of sleep meds i've gone to the gym and had the best workouts of my life i have gone to the gym and lifted like my max for bench i would lift that plus 20 pounds easy no problem but then when i'm depressed i will struggle to even lift half of what i'm lifting. it's 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 the weirdest thing that yeah it's just to me it is an example of how that actually translates into how this mm -hmm. is affecting me. when i'm yeah. doing push-ups or lunges or whatever it is and I do a few of them and I feel like I've been running for three days straight it's hard but I know I have to keep going and then on the opposite end of things where I'm lifting and I've been doing it just just straight lifting for two hours and I know I need to stop because I will keep going um I have to tell myself you need to walk away from this it's not healthy so a lot of a lot of what I've had to do on top of learning about bipolar is learning myself and how it affects me. Because that Facebook group has really shown me that not everyone responds to this the same way. That depression is, there are similarities, but there's a lot of differences between people. Hypomania, there are similarities, but there's a lot of differences between people, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, you can't say what is true for me is true for everyone else. Um, so just uh, so true, so true. I just wanted to go back to, you know, that list that you came up with. Yeah. Like, I'm just wondering, just for people watching, you know, like, you know, maybe someone struggling with similar, like, I'm pretty sure that was a process. There was not like overnight you like thought of it. And it's like, you know, how long did that take you to, I don't need like a number of days, but like, um, what did it take to get there? So, it, like I said, it, I was trying to draw from what I knew from working in mental health was 
okay, well, if I'm feeling like this, deep breathing. If I'm feeling like that, you know, distraction, all this stuff, right? But it didn't work for me. And I started getting really frustrated. Um, and so one night I actually sat with uh, my daughter's mom before we separated. And I said, can you help me make a list of things that I can do that will help distract me and keep my mind focused when my mood is really low? And so we did, we sat there and we just started thinking of things. Um, and I tell this to patients, actually I just had a conversation with a patient um, last time I was in about this. I said, people will give you all this advice on things that you should do to uh, avoid negative thoughts and avoid sinking deeper, blah, 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 blah. But those things aren't gonna work for you if they're not things that you enjoy. Find what you enjoy and then do that. I enjoy working out. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes when my mood, I can feel my mood getting low, I'll work out two or three times a day because I know that the opposite is me sitting there and I will 100% just get lost in my thoughts. <laughs> I have caught myself staring off into nowhere for God knows how long because I am in my head. And my entire goal is to never, ever, ever be where I was in March of 2020. So it's it's a lot of work and it's exhausting. I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I have to have to do on a, on a daily basis, like throughout the day, is I constantly have to sort through everything that goes through my head. Sometimes, actually not sometimes, all of the time, when I'm in a hypomanic state, things will go, they'll, an idea will pop in my head and it will go straight through my mouth. And I know I have said a lot of things sometimes that people are like, what the hell's wrong with you? But there's zero actual filter. There's zero uh, thought process that goes into, well, should I be saying this? Will it upset people if I say this? Like all these different things, right? It's like that that process is completely out the window. It's just thought out my mouth. Um, but it's cheaper for actions too, you know? Like I, uh, when I was... Uh, before I was medicated, it's very mm-hmm. bad. I'm not medicated. I'm on medication. Um, but before I was on medication, I remember um, I worked. How oh, how many was it? I think I worked 10, 12 hour shifts in a row, and I think two of those shifts were 16 hour shifts. Oh my goodness! And I was fine. I was like, cool, bring it on. And and it didn't bother me. But I kept telling myself and I justified that this is fine because I'm building seniority, I'm getting money, like it's cool, there's nothing wrong with this. There's definitely something wrong with it because I'm not giving my body a chance to rest, I'm not sleeping properly, I'm not eating mm-hmm. properly, and right. I am burning myself out. And it's very, very easy to go from um, a high state of mania straight into a depression. I don't find the opposite is true. I don't often find that I will leave a depressive state and become immediately hypomanic. I have found that I will burn out from a manic state and end up in a depressed state. So sleep regulation is huge. And I know this is something that I wanted to address because a lot of people, it comes up often in the hospital. Like people, people, they see it. I only work day shifts. And part of that is because I worked uh, days and nights for a long time. And I would work those night shifts and it would have 
even just two night shifts will have messed me up to the point where I'll go home at seven in the morning and I'll sleep until like noon and then I'll be up for the next four days. Doesn't matter how much I, how much medication I take, doesn't matter how much I exhaust myself, I'm up. And uh, it's, it's something that I realized and I fought for a long time. I fought it because I'm like, I've been a nurse for 10 years. I've been working shift work for 10 years. I can do this. But it was only until like this past year that I realized, like actually following my moods, tracking my moods, that, and that's something that I also do, because I have a mood tracker in my phone. Like, I need to be on top of this. I need to be on top of what's happening. And I realized my, like, things get real crazy when I work night shifts. Things uh, become unstable really quickly. So being on straight days is not, it's not what I like. I actually am. I prefer being awake at night. I always have since I was a kid. Um, it's hard for me to wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. But every morning. Second that. Yeah, right? Like, why do we even exist? So every morning, my alarm goes off and I wake up. I cannot honestly tell you the last time I've slept past 8 o'clock. Um, because I know if I start doing that, if I start sleeping in, it'll throw off my sleep. Even if I have nothing to do that day, I still wake up at like 7, 7.30 because I have to stay on top of it. I have to have a routine. And part of that routine, again, is I know working out is really important for me. It's something that I really enjoy. It's something that helps keep me regulated and stable. So it's very important for me to do that. So even on the days that I work, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, I do my workout and I go to work. Um, but then I get home because sleep is important. I get home at say 7.30, I eat, I shower, and I immediately take my meds to put me to sleep because I don't want to risk, well, now I'm awake and I don't need to sleep. I'll skip a little later tonight, you know, and then the next day is a little later. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. I it's so, so easy to fall off of <clears throat> off track. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have to tell myself, like, it doesn't matter how good I feel. I need to sleep. I need to be asleep. Um, that's something I'm still working on. It is a, it's a learning process, um, especially having a toddler. There's times when I have heard that I know um, I can't be taking a lot of medication because if she wakes up in the night and she needs me or something happens, I have to be able to respond. So it's a balance, right? And that's something I can say is true for, uh, I would say everyone I've met who has whatever form of bipolar that having a routine <laughs> we're really excited over there. um it having a routine is really important and i fought that for such a long time because i thought like well, i'm an adult i'm gonna do whatever i want but so i, I said i'd bring this up uh, earlier so drinking um and drugs and all that stuff uh i haven't drank I think I stopped drinking when I was 26. And then it's really sad, I can tell you. I stopped drinking when I was around 26. And then between 26 to now, I think three years ago, I had a drink at a cottage. Mm -hmm. And then about three months ago, I had one beer. 
and I got insanely drunk off of one beer. <laughs> That's what happened when you don't drink for years. But I did see that even off of one beer, I woke up in the morning, I felt like, I felt like crap, like not physically, like mentally, I felt like crap. And I was yeah. like, okay, lesson learned. I can't do that anymore. Um, and this, I wanted to address marijuana. I wanted to address this because I hear it from people on the unit. I hear it from coworkers. I hear that group that I'm in. Oh my God. Marijuana is not a cure. If you're using it as, as, as a way of medicating yourself or balancing your life, there is no way you can measure how much marijuana or THC that you are smoking. You can physically measure it. You can look at a gram and say, I haven't smoked a gram today and I'm fine. Sure. But one gram, you don't know how much THC is in it. You don't know how much CBD is in it. You really don't know what else is in it. And with all the different types of marijuana out there, all the different strains, everything like that, one gram can be different from every other gram. True. So you're not always getting the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I used to smoke. That's how I did sleep. I used to smoke to go to sleep. Otherwise, I'd be awake. But then I found that I got myself into a really bad cycle where the only way I was sleeping was if I smoked. And same thing for eating. I I wasn't eating, so I'd smoke a little, so I had an appetite, so I'd eat. But then it got me to the point where I was smoking just to be able to sleep and eat. It took me a little while to break that cycle. So routine and balance, really important. <laughs> Is she playing? Are you supposed to be playing dress up, Justin? <laughs> I saw the what? Hey, Isabel. Hi. Oh, Justin, she's so cute. I know she's she so sweet. Me. I'm adorable. <laughs> right? I'm sure it's from her mom. That's totally it. <laughs> I'm so cute. Yes. Yes. Lovely. Yes. All right. What do you want? What do you want from me? Is that is that a good with tea parties? Did you teach him how to play tea parties? We had a very, very professional tea party one time with like Oh, really? Students. It was very <laughs> exciting. It was way more classy than anything I've ever done in my life. Yeah, well, I my mommy is at home. Yes. Yes, yes. Does she like tea parties too? At home in my home. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And that's Kitty. And his name is Kitty. That's why uh, daddy named him Kitty because <laughs> then she's <laughs> pretty. Who's your favorite princess, Isabel? Do you have a favorite princess? Yeah. Disney princess? Who's Who's yeah. your favorite Disney princess? You know, mine is the little mermaid, Ariel. That's mine. My favorite princess is who? Ah, is it the same? You, does she, is your name, favorite princess? His name is uh, the Little Mermaid. Oh, we just got a little mermaid, eh, a Little Mermaid doll, and she sings. 
and I am so mad because I didn't pick it out. For 24 hours now. <laughs> Whoever invented toys that make noise, obviously don't have kids. My favorite Disney princess is Elsa. <laughs> Elsa is super hot. She is, huh? Yeah. Not as hot as uh, Ariel. My favorite is Ariel, just so you Ariel know. Ariel is fish. Mm. <laughs> so really real. That is so real. <laughs> so rude. She did become a human. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I want to run that risk of all of a sudden she turns back into a fish. Weird. Oh, you like ice and stuff, huh? You're into no, the snow. What is it? <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I mean. So I I, I want to ask you this. You know what what is like being on the other side? You know we yeah. all know we all know you know the. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this very lightly, but it's so true. You know, when I became a float, uh, one question I asked you is if you want to be, if you want to work in mental health. And I was like, mm, yeah, I want to work in mental health. And, but I find when ever like people who have not worked in mental health, you know, it was, it was really different for, different for me because I'm like a medicine nurse, vent nurse, and then I had to do mental health. I think you have your background in mental health, right? You said. Yeah, so I I don't. So I only went into mental health when I became a flow. So I find a lot of times, even like people who have not worked mental health, when I say it, like when you say you're going to mental health, it's like a whole, it's like, that's such a big stereotype. I'm trying to say that's a big stereotype with that, yeah. you know? So like tell, tell, you know, you being a patient before and now on the other side, tell like, Tell me about it. Like, what what can you tell nurses? You know, I don't know. I like, I will be one hundred percent honest, and I will say that 